Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. What a weekend of rugby we have to talk about and so little time to do so. So we're going to kick off straight away. Gavin Casey here and I'm joined in studio not by Murray Kinsella who felt that the podcast was going so well in my absence that he has now quit in tantrum uh, but instead joined by Ryan Bailey of the 42.e. How are you Ryan? Gav, how's things? Very well, thank you. And we're joined as well, delighted to be joined by Bernard Jackman. Bernard, how are you? Excellent, thank you. Good. Busy week for you Ryan personally. Two interviews with yourself coming up. Rory Best and Conor Murray later on in the show, but we are going to kick off with Leinster and Ulster. And uh, what a game it was, one of the best games of uh, the season so far, no doubt about that. Um, incident packed, we'll touch upon Dan Levy in a moment. Uh, there's probably only one place to start, or at least the incident in the game that kind of dominated most of the discussion afterwards, which was Jacob Stocktail's blunder. Uh, Bernard, as a from a coach's perspective, Fairly nightmarish stuff, I'd imagine, to watch a player go over the line. I suppose you can't really count your chickens until the ball is down. Yeah, definitely. I think look at once he made that line break. In fact, it was it would have been an unbelievable finish. Like he did, he had so much to do, um, and he did you know ninety nine percent of that perfectly. Um, but obviously, you know, he failed in the um, in the primary uh, objective, which is to to get the ball down. And I think it's a very hard lesson for him to learn. We had an incident with Freddie Burns earlier on in the season. Freddie's a little bit different that he was blatantly celebrating. Um, whereas Jacob wasn't, you know, he hadn't raised his hand to celebrate. It was just a little bit sloppy in terms of his, his ball um, ball placement. But, like, even when you see it in slow motion, you know, you could nearly just argue that it, there was contact all the way down. Like, it was so tight. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, Ulster end up scoring eventually after through Marshall. But you just feel that that gave Lencer that, that little window um, to get back into the game and, for, and you know more importantly I think from the scrum that resulted in it they got a penalty mm-hmm. you know, so they got to exit with a, with a line out for them uh, from the kick you know which was you know two kind of massive moments in a row which just gave Leinster a little bit more momentum but um, listen Dan McFarland came out and spoke very fairly you got to protect your player these things happen there was a, you know a multitude of incidents in the game that you know could have decided it differently but obviously that's the one we're talking about because you know he effectively was over the line um, by maybe two metres and um, I think in the future you'll see him diving a lot more Yeah, getting those shorts dirty It was such a crucial juncture in the game as well in the sense that Ulster already had a lead it would have moved about to a, to a two score game well depending on a conversion yeah. obviously but as you mentioned then Leinster get that psychological boost of just the perfect exit Um I think like I was in Edinburgh for the Monster game we'd missed the first half and we walked into a, a pub afterwards to see the second half it was just after Stockdale had dropped the ball and an Edinburgh fan said to us like nah Ulster after throwing it away you know that we kind of knew I think at that point like that Leinster would uh, would build upon it but just as you mentioned there the Freddie Burns incident and I think it was Maxine Maydar at that time chased him back even when all seemed dead in terms of like it was a pretty much guaranteed score massive credit as well defensively to Dave Carney in that incident with Stockdale like Stockdale's over the line he's still trying to fight for the ball to, yeah, to rip it out of him and I think all the good teams you know have that um, mentality that they, they chase everything they chase lost causes and every now and again you know it works but uh, I think in fairness as well I mean we've got to, I'd like to give credit to Ulster I thought Ulster came and put in their best performance of the season um, and you know exploited probably Leinster's rustiness to a certain extent but also um you know, had a a very well organised game plan, um, and they executed that. And you know, I think Ulster would be bitterly disappointed from having lost the game. But I think you can safely say that Ulster are on the right track. And you know, next season there'll be 
um, hopefully four provinces, um, you know, competing at, at at that level. But definitely, I think you know Ulster are going to be up there with Leinster and Munster um, next season for for sure. And and, and hopefully Connacht then can can bridge that gap from Challenge Cup into into Champions Cup knockout stages. Yeah, I was going to ask you that about Ulster going forward in the sense that. Is it almost like a microcosm of you know some of those bitter defeats that Munster suffered in the early two thousands, where they can be almost defining moments for a team, or certainly games that can kind of galvanise a team and become the makings of one in future? Yeah, I think so. I think you need to have experience in Europe is is different. Very rarely do um, do teams come from nowhere to to win it. Um, I remember in '09 when we when we beat Munster in, a, in the semi final, there was loads of rubbish in the media saying, "Oh, you have to lose a final to win one." Um, and obviously, we didn't really have time to believe that. But I do think that we had had a lot of experience of quarterfinals, semifinals, um, so we knew what knockout rugby was like in Europe. Ulster, to be honest, don't have that, you know. Yes, um, you know, obviously, 2012 they got to a final, but there was a since they won it, there was a long period where they didn't qualify. So. Um, Likes of Jack McGrath going up there, um, now is another experienced campaigner to to add to that. Um, but for me, it's the experience. The likes of, um, you know, Jack or John Cooney has Stockdale has got now. Um, you know, likes of Timoney, etc. They will have had a taste of it and realised that they can live with Leinster, who are the champions away from home in a in a packed Aviva. So I think confidence wise and um, in terms of giving them belief. This campaign has been really good for for Ulster because it started off, um, you know, with a probably an unideal preparation with Dan McFarlane not being available since the start of preseason. Obviously, the legacy of last season, which was pretty horrific, and they've managed to to get on track probably quicker than I would have thought. You know, they they've really um, had an accelerated period of growth, which um, you know argues well argues, argues well for next year because I think you know if tied down the likes of Kutsia, um there's a lot of good young fellas who are getting better and look at stability in our coaching staff so I think Ulster in a good place Yeah what about Leinster then Ryan obviously not in a bad place uh, as reigning champions and back in a semi-final there was some discussion afterwards that they were a little bit fortunate I think mm-hmm. largely just due to the, the Stockdale incident um, what did you make of their performance overall and, and where do they stand not even necessarily versus last year but where do they stand now in the pecking order going into the last four I think Cullen use the word undercooked afterwards. And I think that's probably a, a fair assessment. You know, as Brendan said, huge credit has to go to Ulster. Like they brought so much physicality, aggression early on. There was, you know, if you even look at Best's tack, or sorry, Henderson's tack on the first minute, like they just laid down a, an early marker there. They were up for it. And Leinster just were, were shut down. The aggressive line speed, they were suffocated. You saw with Ringrose being charged down for Ulster's first try. They just couldn't get their bearings right really in the, in the first kind of opening quarter and it was a real concern for Colin. he spoke about it before the game that look Ulster are coming down here they've got absolutely we spoke about it last week there was a free shot for Ulster they had absolutely nothing to lose and, and kind of all those pre-match concerns kind of came true for, for Leinster and but just their big game now you know held true in the end like we spoke about Stockdale's moment being the defining one and for someone like Jack Conan to come up with such a big play like that for Adam Burns' try and just the way they saw out the game then at the end, you know, Ross Burns' kick on one leg um, from the touchline and over four minutes or over seven minutes, uh, the last play of the game, switching from defence to attack and just retaining that ball to just completely kill off the game. Like that's big game experience. That's And even like, you know, guys coming off the bench, Porter, James Tracy, just seeing the game out, they'd be all the better for it. Leo Cullen said afterwards, they'd be absolutely all the better for it. But, 
there's still concerns going into that Toulouse game. You know, Johnny Sexton's form and fitness. Um, will Robbie Henshaw be back in time to get to return into midfield? Devin Toner's obviously coming back. He's not going to be involved this weekend. So there's still question marks over them there. Um, but they're in a good place. They've got two week Pro 14 weekends now. And I think we'll see a, a good few combinations being tried. Um, John Fogarty spoke during the week about We'll speak about it, I think, later in the, in the show about Dan Levy's injury, but that suddenly opens up a position at open side and Fogarty spoke that, look, reputation means nothing. Sean O'Brien looks like the obvious candidate, but they've got Scott Penny back, Max Deegan's been going particularly well. So it's an interesting couple of weeks for them just going into their two semi-finals. Um, they're in a different place, I think, to the, when they were last year, which kind of raises concerns, as we said, but um, you'd still back them to, to come strong now over the business end of the season. Yeah, just before we touch upon Levy, uh, Bernard, from the Toulouse's perspective, it's been a massive season for them, an unbelievable game in Paris. They got the job done with 14 men, and yet their most crushing defeat of the season, or at least since they've kind of entered this good run of form, was in Dublin against Leinster, against a Leinster that didn't have Johnny Sexton available on the day. From a psychological perspective, how do you kind of gear up for a game, essentially a rematch, where you were dominated so thoroughly the first time around? Oh, I think I think it's good for them to be honest. I think that um, um, there's going to be no complacency. But yes, they've built up a lot of self belief. So they've they went further since you know they came to Dublin in in uh, in good spirits. But I think the the amount of away wins they've got since in the top fourteen, their unbeaten run, um, how how they won in Racing, I think is going to give them massive belief. And um, they know how hard it's going to be to come to Dublin. But the problem with to lose is the type of game they play. Um, it's very difficult to shut down. You need to be nearly perfect. It's not just stereotypical, oh, we're going to set up our defence and we're going to be able to shut them down. I mean, they do things that are different than other attacks. They've got completely different threats that you're not going to see in the Pro 14 or you don't really see in Europe. You know, it's, it's very different than the threats Saracens or, or Munster or Edinburgh bring. So that's going to be difficult. And Leinster managed to shut them down in, in, in the RDS, but... Um, I, it's a very dangerous fixture. But Leinster are obviously delighted to be at home. I think you know they would have taken that as good as Toulouse are. You know it's it's a home semi final now that Toulouse have won, but um, it should be an unbelievable game. You know, and uh, I think Toulouse are, are on a really good upward curve. Um, I, I don't think I think Leinster will win it, but um, I think over the next two or three years you're going to see. Um, to lose being up there again as contenders every year and possibly winning Champions Cups because they've got a lot of good young French players um, and then they've signed their, their foreigners are very uh, effective like says Jerome Kaino uh, Kobe um, you know Zach Holmes uh, is, a, is a good operator so they've they've got it right Richie Gray um, they've got it right in terms of their recruitment but it's a very it's a team Ugo Mala played under Guinoves they've gone back to that um you know, vision of, of how to play the game. Boys are enjoying it, and it, and it works. It's 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 very very difficult to shut down uh, because as I said it's quite unique in 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 Europe teams to have one the vision to play that, but also two the skill set. Mm. I think credit must go to uh, BT Sport for deciding not to show a replay of Dan Levy's injury, which at first glance looked pretty horrendous. And I think okay, there have been loads of rumours circulating as society gradually corrodes via WhatsApp but the one concern or well, apart from the obvious concern which is the nature of the injury as it appeared is when a guy gets definitively ruled out of a World Cup like five or six months out with the marvels of modern science often even a, a bad cruciate injury you could be back within that time frame and like when he's 
really being definitively ruled out. It just doesn't look good. Um, just, I suppose, Ryan, from him, for him personally, firstly, it's just been an unbelievably horrendous run of luck. And look, we know he's an absolutely serious operator. We can touch upon how, how big a loss he'll be for Ireland, but just for the guy himself, it's, yeah, it's just, pretty shocking. Yeah, unspeakably difficult. Like, I can't imagine what he's, he's been going through over the last couple of days. Obviously, you know, he'd worked so hard to get back. That that calf problem that was causing him problems was was so frustrating for him because it, it kind of started out as a niggle and he hadn't played, obviously, since December, that Connacht game, and he'd worked so hard behind the scenes to get back. And there was talk of him getting back for the last couple of rounds of the Six Nations, just constantly put back and back, and he eventually got back to full fitness. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he was coming on, on on Saturday, disappointed not to, to start ahead of O'Brien. And I'm sure he was coming on, telling himself that now's his big chance to to make a big impact, obviously with Josh van der Fleer out for the rest of the season as well. That kind of door had opened up for him. And um, his impact was good off the bench on, on Saturday for the brief time he was on the pitch. He made a difference. And it was just, I think, Bernard, we were both there. And, you know, anytime there's a serious injury in the stadium, even in an atmosphere like that, you just knew instantly. And especially someone like Levy, who doesn't stay down unless it's really bad like that and you saw the stretcher come on straight away and just so unfortunate for him and I was in Leinster on, on Monday afternoon and when the news was confirmed and there was just a, a weird mood around the place um, guys were down from both Luke McGrath and James Tracy who were very close to him Luke McGrath obviously was in school with him and, and my cousin James Tracy would be one of his best friends and they both were up for media and just they were both genuinely good for him you could see and it was you know having just won a champions cup quarter final the mood should have been you know good buzz around the place the sun was out good end of season vibe but no it was it was completely different it was a, it was a strange atmosphere and yeah you have to really feel for him and, and hopefully he can come back he can come back stronger for it because he is that type of guy that you know ages on his side he is only 24 so hopefully we'll see him again back in Leinster and, and a green jersey stronger than ever I think there's no doubt you'll see him back. I know there's loads of rumours and stuff, but uh, um, you have to know the man. And uh, I, I look enough to coach him in school, and um, I've never experienced a tougher athlete mentally uh, or physically in terms of what he's able to to put himself through. So, um, and also, you know, modern medicine is is phenomenal. You know, so there's injuries that you know made people have to retire two or three years ago that aren't recruiting anymore and he's also in one of the best medical systems you know through Leinster in Ireland so um, he will get whatever the world's best uh, medical advice is medical treatment and um, you know and I'd imagine, I'd imagine if it is a year and a half or, or two year injury that they'll break that up that rehab up so you know he gets to um, to go to other environments and just because I think that's important as well it's so the hardest part is the, is the mental um, uh, I suppose uh the stagnant environment you can have in the same place for a year and a half mm -hmm. when particularly for the first six months because probably not going to be a huge amount he can do but I think what, what Leinster and Ireland would, uh, are very good at is actually making sure they look after the player's mind as well and, and by giving them fresh fresh stimulus in terms of environment or facilities etc um, you know he'll be back I, I think listen the only it's probably beyond what we normally see in a rugby pitch but I think in NFL it's that type of injury mm. um, where there can be a complete knee blowout. And um, I think that's where you'd be looking for uh, for case studies of of athletes who, who they've brought back. And that's why I think, you know, it's not, it's very unusual for rugby, but 
in the overall worldwide sports uh, ream, it's not, uh, and particularly in, a, in in a high collision sport like American football, um, they've brought people back from from similar and worse. So, um, and I said I known the known the guy, um, he's got the mental strength to to crack on. You know, he'll obviously be unbelievably disappointed for a week or two, but then he'll get stuck into his into his operations and rehab, and um, he'll have certain markers and he'll chase them, and um, and as you take one off, then you're one closer to um, getting back to play, but uh, disappointed for him. But as I said he'll just he'll he'll attack this head on. Yeah, um, obviously a massive blow for Ireland in the World Cup. I think he was a, a notable absence during the Six Nations as well at, at key junctures. Uh, there's a question here from Gavin Potts about Leinster, and you mentioned it there, Ryan, with Van der Fleer out for the season as well. Gavin asks who uh, will come in at seven considering that Sean O'Brien probably can't go a full 80 mm. at the moment and probably can't play like finish out the season at seven yeah. game in game out yeah it's, in, it's interesting I think the selection this weekend will, will be quite telling they've obviously got Max Deegan who's been operating at seven particularly well over the kind of the Six Nations period and he'll admit himself he has said it himself that he sees himself as an eight going forward, and that's obviously where he made the breakthrough at the under twenty, uh, under twenty level. But he's been going particularly well there. They've also got Scott Penny back from the under twenties. He helped Ireland to a Grand Slam. He made four Pro fourteen appearances before and after Christmas. So they've got options there. It's obviously the resources are suddenly now a bit thinner on the ground. You know, you think of Jordy Murphy leaving last season, um, obviously losing Josh, and and now Dan Levy as well. So. But if there's any team and, and environment and squad that can absorb those kind of losses, it's definitely Leinster. You know, you mentioned Sean O'Brien there. He's on a week off this week. So it is a big chance for, for Deegan or Penny this weekend, whoever gets the nod to, to really lay down a marker between Benetton this weekend and then Glasgow the following week leading into into Toulouse. But it'd be fascinating to see who they go for. Again, mentioned earlier, Fogarty said the reputation counts for nothing at Leinster. You know, you'd, to naked eye, Sean O'Brien would be the shoe in to take that seven jersey going forward for the rest of the season. But again, his form... You know, would the, you know might suggest that they, they might look at Deegan, who, as he said, has been has showed. You know, obviously he's always been really strong defensively, but just his he's worked so tirelessly. He brings such athleticism um, to his game now as well. He's got an excellent skill set. Um, so he'd be he's definitely an option going forward there, even if he says himself that he'd prefer to play at eight. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they go in the kind of short to medium term. Um, a little bit light at seven. In the long term, two futures have been decided. Obviously, uh, Jack McGrath is heading north and we touched upon that in the podcast a few weeks back. We don't really actually have time to uh, discuss it at great length now. But just uh, wanted to mention as well, Darren Cave's retirement, like an unbelievable servant really for Ulster and uh, probably a player underrated just by the fact that he didn't quite get the international recognition that... Um, Maybe if Ireland hadn't been so well stacked in, in the middle that he might have. Yeah, he was competing with O'Driscoll for uh, <laughs> most, of his, uh, most of his career. And he was really, a, you know, an out and out 13. I think um, he probably was, at the start of the season, it looked like he wasn't really going to feature very much. Um, and it's testament to him that he he didn't, I suppose, sulk and he got his head down. And he actually made a big influence in every Pro 14 game he got on. And, um, you know, he fought his way back in to, to get, a, get a, a swan song against Leinster. Now, he'll hope that there's another swan song, you know, something to, um, exciting in the in the Pro 14 playoffs. And um, But a great, great bloke, um, great character, great personality, um, very proud Ulster man and uh, has left a really strong legacy there. Uh, I, I think he could have played on. I, I had a good chat with him um, a couple of months ago and he kind of just felt, he felt he could play on as well, but he wanted to try and go out 
at the top and, and not be a squad player for, during the World Cup and and then you know I suppose finish the game finishes finishes rugby career with a bad taste where you know you've gone on too long so I think not many fellas have the um, the wherewithal or the foresight to to make that decision so um, he, he'll he'll move into something else and, and be successful because he's a um, he's a he's a very driven guy. Speaking of driven guys, uh, Ryan, you caught up with Ireland captain Rory Best. Yeah, he was in Dublin during the week, actually just after after Saturday's game. He's a Specsavers ambassador, and I, I started off by asking him about his injury. Yeah, it's it's probably as good as it could have been, given the, the circumstances around the injury. So, look, there's been a bit of damage to ligaments, but everything's intact, and it, it's kind of one of those that they don't really like to put time frames on it because it'll be a case of come out of the boot towards the end of this week and start to see how I move freely on it. And, and until um, all the swelling goes out of it and you can actually walk without being impaired by pain, then they can't really push it on. So it all depends on how quickly your body responds to that sort of stuff. Sure. Maybe what was going through your head on, on Saturday? Because I know everyone else was kind of drawing breath and, and <laughs> gasping and thinking of Japan. Yeah, I, I suppose... It, it wasn't thinking as far ahead as Japan. You know, it's more. It's a game you want to play, and it's a game that you've you've built yourself up to be. You know, ever since we we beat Leicester and Welford Road, we knew that we were going to have a quarter final. Then it was Leinster at the Aviva, and you know, that was what, from a club point of view, what you were building towards. And the only last six minutes before the injury, and sort of hobble around for another ten. Like I think the emotion for me is like you don't know are you going to play another quarter final for Ulster? Are you going to be able to play again for Ulster this season? You know, like I say, with the way the game was, it's a game that I would have loved to have been played, and just with the intensity it was played at, and you know the way I started the game, I really felt I was in it, and ultimately, as a top level player, that's the type of game you want to be involved in, and that probably was the the biggest overriding emotion that I had. Yeah, given maybe the uncertainty around your, your Ulster future, that heightens the, the kind of the emotion for you when it, you're sitting on the bench. It does, yeah, because I hadn't, haven't made a decision and, and I certainly didn't know then whether it would be the last game or not. And, and it's not, you know, it's been a it's been a long career with Ulster and I suppose there's part of you kind of goes, I don't want it to, to finish after six minutes at the Viva Stadium where I, where I limp off. Yeah, and... Looking ahead, you, you obviously haven't made that decision, but is that a conversation more important you'll have to have with your family, or is it you mentioned earlier, Brian Cunningham, obviously, and Dan McFarlane will be involved? I think it'll be it'll be all equally as important. I'll, I'll speak to Brynn and Dan first, and we'll sort of see where where the head's at, what their planning is, how I feel. You know, I'll be honest with them, and they'll be honest with me, and then I'll go away and I'll, I'll chat to my family, and, and we'll see. Like, I, I really... Like I say, depending on, on what time of the day you ask me, you know, it can either be, yeah, look, I'd love to keep playing or else it's, you know, what, the World Cup is a perfect time for me to finish. So, you know, you get you get stuff like the game on Saturday and you want to keep playing. The news that Jack's coming up, you know, you want to play with him. And then you get other days where, you know, the World Cup being such a, a pinnacle of anyone's career to what a way to, to buy out potentially, especially a dream and, and you get to the latter stages of it and, you know, this is all the, the stuff that, that emotionally I have to weigh up. Um, physically, I feel good. Um, but I don't know whether I feel, feel feel good physically because I know internationally, you know, my career is going to end hopefully on the 2nd of November. Um, so, look, this is all stuff that weigh up. You know, I need Bryn and Dan, as they will be, I'll be honest, about where they see Ulster going and, and who they they feel is going to take them there. And, and like I say, then we'll make a decision. Yeah, sure. You mentioned 
you know, we were talking to you earlier on and you kind of mentioned the whole World Cup, obviously, but so important now the rest of the season with Ulster, isn't it? And, and you're hoping to get back potentially for, for one or two of those games and trying to get back into, obviously, Champions Cup and then push on for silver. What, what happened on Saturday is obviously a huge disappointment, but how important in the context of the kind of the overall growth under Dan is it to, to kick on just in these in these few games and finish the season strongly? Yeah, I think kick on is probably the, the key word, you know, because I've been in Ulster teams before where, where we've had big performances and you automatically assume that, oh, you're, you're just going to get better, you know, experience is going to get you better, but experience only gets you better if you can use it in the right way and, and if you you try to really use it to improve. So the next time you're in a, an 18 all game, that it falls the 21-18, the, the right side for you, um, which is the big learning for us now because I think this season especially and probably for the last 12 months, we've shown buckets of, of guts, we've shown buckets of a determination, physicality, emotion. We just, can we have a bit more of that killer instinct in us. Um, and, and that is the big learning for us. I think with this young side, it is important that they get the feeling that it's not a case of we assume it's going to happen, that we we double our efforts. And look, you've got to be honest with them and say, guys, that was a cracking effort, but ultimately we lost the game. So, you know, the next time we're in that, we know that it's going to take more of an effort and, and more of a performance and a and a better performance and I think we're capable of doing it but yeah. you can't just assume it's going to happen you've got to push hard and fight for it and I think Dan is a sort of coach that will always try to push us forward yeah you've had so much success and, and good days with Ireland is there kind of a sense of frustration almost that you just haven't been able to get across the line with Ulster and I know a lot of that generation the likes of Tommy Bowe and Andrew Trimble Chris Henry have all retired in recent years and have had that frustration is that almost that's driving you on and making you kind of indecisive about what you want to do next year yeah there, there is a bit you know and it, it's tough, you know. I'd love to. I'd love nothing more to win something with Ulster, but at the same time, I've really enjoyed this last twelve months because of of watching how this squad has developed, how they've developed leaders. You know, even somebody like Handy, who he's developed as a big, strong character and a big, strong leader in our group. Um, seeing the like the emergence of like Michael Laurie, um, Eric O'Sullivan, Tom O'Toole, you know, all these guys that have come in and played and, and really put their hand up to say that not only do we want to be the future of Ulster, we want to be the future of a successful Ulster team. And I think that the, it's those bits, you know, because ultimately, look, I would love to lift the trophy as, as Ulster captain before I retire. But if I happen to retire and Ulster wins something within 12 months, I'll, I'll firstly probably curse them for waiting till I retire. But at the same time, I think there'll be a bit of it. You can feel a part of, of that you are part of that group that took that big step forward to go we're no longer want to be nearly men we want to we want to put ourselves out there like we did on Saturday and risk losing a game because we want to go and win something rather than playing within yourself and hoping that it's enough to win mm. you could sense there was there was a great amount of pride from the supporters and, and from the players indeed you know even some of the stuff they've been saying on social media afterwards and and while you did get so agonizingly close there's huge positivity there from from a difficult day yeah, there is. And I think that that's probably one of the big things that we wanted to achieve from this season. Obviously, we, we want success, but we wanted everyone that, that doubted us last year, that, that doubted our, our commitment and our ability to sort of go, 
we didn't want to prove them wrong. We wanted to bring them back in to say, look, this is actually what Ulster rugby is about. This is what we leave on the pitch. And this is what traditionally Ulster been about. And that's what we want to get back to. And we want to re-engage with the community, with the fans. And we want to give them something that they can be proud of. And I think Saturday was was obviously a massive step towards that. Yeah, and, and getting a player in of Jack McGrath's calibre, you mentioned him earlier, is, is going to be a big step in that direction as well. Yeah, it, look, it is. I think if you can get you know, British Lions, you can sign Irish International, you know, and we've, over the last sort of 12 months now, have done both, you know, bringing in Geordie and Marty and now Jack McGrath. And I think we need to get away from the days where we kind of signed bit part players from other team and hoped they were good. You know, now to be saying that we're signing internationals, you know, is a great statement. You know, we need to make sure that we keep pressure on, on, our, on our structures and systems that, that we can bring through plenty of Ulster-born players. But ultimately, these are guys that are going to add something to the shirt. They're going to add something to the environment. And the likes of the Eric O'Sullivan's coming through, in Jack McGrath's case, that, that he can learn off him. Andy Warwick, you know, these guys can learn off one of the best loose heads around. Yeah, well, obviously, you're thinking about the future and the end of your playing days. There's still plenty to look forward to, whether it be Ulster at the end of the season and then obviously, as we said, the World Cup in Japan. Yeah, look, I think it's it's exciting for Ulster if we if we keep taking steps forward. You know, we're in a position now where the end of the season is in our hands. You know, it, it hasn't been the case for a long time for us that you know normally we get to the end of the season and we're scrambling that we have to win. We can't afford to drop a point. Um, you know, so for us now, we know that if we win the remaining three games, and they're three very tough games, but we get that home quarter final, and then you know you can move on to to after that. But to to be in that position. I think would be would be is a great marker for us. It gives us something to get our teeth into for the end of the season, and, and means that we very quickly have to you, give yourself time to dwell on the loss on Saturday. But we now need to turn the page and go right. That happened. Let's move on. Yeah, and can you let yourself think about Japan? I know it's a it's a long way. Yeah, down the track. It's funny, like it it is a long way. In one hand, on on the other, you look at it and you go potentially six games left this season for Ulster. There's four World Cup warm-ups. So if you happen to play in all of those, you have a maximum of 10 games and then you're into a World Cup, which, you know, 10 games really seems like like nothing. And the pre-season will fly by. And before you know it, in the blink of an eye, you'll be there. And it's, like, I think it's, it's an exciting tournament. It's an exciting place to have a World Cup. And I think from an Ireland point of view, I think we know how much better we need to be and, and there is more than enough capabilities to get there. We've been there before. We're still 23 out of 26 uh, wins in the last uh, test. So we're still a strong squad. We're still in a good place. And, and we've had a bit of a shock and a bit of a wake-up call and a bit of a a bit of a knock to our confidence. But I think there is more than enough there to make sure that, that we can go on and let's make sure that we produce the best that we've that we've ever produced in mm. Japan. As captain, how did that kind of shock affect you? I know you've had to turn the page quickly with Ulster, but it must have been a difficult couple of weeks. It, it, it was a difficult, I think the entire championship, was, I think any championship you're involved in where you lose the first game, there's just so much pressure on you. You're always having, you're always in the back foot having to try to fight your way off it. Uh, and that, that was our case. We started slow for whatever reason and the the big thing for us now is we know we can't start slow again. If we start slow with our opening two games in the World Cup with Scotland and Japan, you know, arguably they're the two nearest rivals to try to get out of the group. So, you know, if we start slow with them and don't win them, you know, you're in trouble. So the the Six Nations was hugely disappointing. 
but we've got to now go right well look it happened we can't change it we can't feel sorry for ourselves we've got to be honest with ourselves and go well why did it happen how can we make sure it doesn't happen again in the biggest stage in the world and and make sure that from this negativity there comes something positive and that we go this is where our success at the world cup came from the the time we said enough is enough we need to see what happened and, and improve on it yeah and for you the goal is to, to lead Ireland out in, in that game against Japan, uh, against Scotland the opening day. That'd be something special. Yeah, look, I'd, I think when you're when you're young, you, you want to be a captain and you captain your local team and ultimately then you dream of captaining Ireland. But I think to captain Ireland, at a, to be lucky enough to captain Ireland to a Grand Slam, but to, to lead Ireland out at a World Cup would be something unbelievably special. It'd be a good way to end. It, would be, it wouldn't be a bad way to, to close your international career. I think that... If you get to choose when they go out, and, and hopefully I'm lucky enough to be one of the ones that does. Brilliant. Roy Best, thank you. Cheers. So Munster are into a 14th European semi-final. And again, a game sort of dominated by an incident that <laughs> was a little bit, um, in its own way, more controversial than Jacob Stockdale's drop at the Aviva. And that's obviously Tyg Burns, what do we call it? Flop? I, it's too harsh to call it a dive, I think, but um, I'm not sure there's a great deal to say about it in the sense that it's been fairly well discussed. I know he takes a bump off Jeremy Lockman as well. There are kind of mm-hmm. two collisions there. He still makes a meal of it for me. Um, he uh, apparently, his <laughs> phone has been buzzing all week, so uh, I'm sure he's taken enough flack at this stage. Is it like, is it a concern, Bernard, for the game? There's a lot of talk about, oh, we don't want to see it. We don't want to see things like, see rugby moving towards that football. I think the, style the, of the theatrics. The power brokers were worried about it about a year and a half ago. I remember there was a an edict from the from the referees that simulation was going to be a, a you know a, a penalizable offence, and they want to stamp it out of the game. Um, and I think it's right. You know, we don't want to go down that road. I think once once you start to go down that road, it just gets it grows massively from top down mm. so next thing you know it's it's a feature in an under 14 game and that's because they actually you know they copy the behaviours they see in, at, at elite level so um, it actually was a turning point in the game you know, oh, 100%, you know like, yeah. and that's but it was still a penalty whether it but like by yeah. the letter of the law it was a penalty for sure Regardless. but I don't think it gets picked up I mean it's it was just the way it came about I yeah. think was the yeah no it was yeah. a penalty but it, uh, that kind of stuff happens unfortunately a reasonable amount. It was very stupid by um, Schumann. Schumann, but if if there's not a, a simulation from Tyburn, it probably doesn't get picked up on, yeah. you know. Um, and um, anyway, it's known as like Neil back, you know, um, taking the ball out of Stringer's hands. Is it like that? Fan. Well, it's, it's 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 effectively it's it's a it's a little bit of cheating to be honest, you know. The dark arts. Yeah, um, and it had a, same. It had an influence on the game. Helped Munster win, but. Listen, Tyburn is not is not the type of player. Um, and uh, listen, it's two sides of the fence. You either say fair play, do whatever it takes to win, okay, or you say okay, the values of the game don't um, uh, don't prove that or aren't aligned to that. We should we should you know make sure that we don't let it happen again. I don't think it'll ever happen to him again. It's not as I said it's not something that's in his DNA. But obviously, and I do think the lock the fact that he hit Lockman after that probably made it look worse. Well, he didn't know for example, like he wouldn't have known that Lockman was no. his teammate. He might have felt he was exactly. just getting it from both ends from, yeah. from two Edinburgh players and and therefore tried to make the most of it. Um, obviously, you have well, look. Most yeah. coaches will have previous in it, but a game back in October when you were head coach of the Dragons, you were playing the Blues. Ross Moriarty is blocked off. Um, yeah. He says to the referee, "Do you want me to dive on the ground?" As a coach, 
That got resulted in a try for yeah, the Blues. For Blues, and we lost the game. Uh, you also got suspended after I that. I got game. suspended for having a, a, for criticizing the referee, but um, we don't want to see players. That was the thing. Like, and Ross Moriarty doesn't want to dive. You know, there was an incident against Leinster uh, where he got a yellow card for hitting Johnny um, late ish, and uh, you know he came out and said he felt that Johnny had over. I suppose um, acted, okay. and that led to the yellow card. And um, so we had already spoke about that we don't want to be the team who who do that. You know what I mean? Uh, but also, I feel that as a as a coach, then referees have to understand when people are taken out, and if they don't dive, that doesn't mean that there wasn't an incident. You know, and that's that's the that's the fine line. I think the, if referees do pull up and are hard on people who who act, that'll stop it. But also, I mean, if 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 they spot things quicker. Well then, um, we, you know, players won't have to go down that route. Yeah, the sun was in the ref's eyes that day, I believe. Lots of things were in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the sun was out at Rodney Fair, wasn't it? <laughs> it was actually. It was. It was early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. It was October. It was a nice day. It was a nice day. Um, I think, again, similar to Leinster, a lot of people were saying Munster were rather fortunate and it probably, that line of thinking probably incorporates that burn incident um, into that. But at the same token, they had maybe three chances in the entire game one of them a scrum uh, they lost a penalty on the scrum inside uh, Edinburgh's 22 the other two times that I remember them being in the 22 they scored tries Edinburgh knocked on the door for a lot of the second half and really just couldn't get it done how much of that is fortune and how much of it is just being clinical and being good defensively yeah I don't think we expected I, I certainly didn't expect Munster to go there and win by 15 playing um, you know barbarian style rugby that was that was the way the game was going to be uh, that's to be honest, the way Edinburgh generally um, play, they make it pretty tight, they make it pretty confrontational, and, and Munster matched up to that. They're away from home, and a win by any nature um, was going to be a good one, I think. Munster, a little bit like Leinster, definitely would have been a little bit of a hangover uh, from the Six Nations, not having everybody on the same page. You know, they're going to be better in two weeks' time as well. So that was both for, for Leinster and Munster, who were, you know, produced more players for Ireland than, than Ulster. Um, they had to just get a win by whatever means necessary, which they both did. And um, you know, Munster now have a very, very tough game against Saracens, but they'll they'll feel that they, you know, if anyone can go to Saracens and, and pull something off, that they have the track record of of doing that. Yeah, would it be fair to say that a similar type of performance though will not be anywhere near enough to beat yeah. Saracens? Oh no, for sure, for sure. But listen, it's different. I think um, to be uh, probably. Munster felt that they had to make make the running a little bit. I know it didn't like didn't really look like that, but against Edinburgh, you know, you know it's going to be an absolute stalemate, and, and um, you're probably going to have to create something to to win. Whereas against Saracens, I think you can actually go there with a a very defensive mindset and you know a snatch and grab type mindset because they're the underdog uh, and frustrate Saracens, take them out of stride, and you know live off their mistakes to a certain extent because. You know, defensively, defensive-wise, Saracens are incredibly effective. So I don't think, like Munster, Munster going there with a really attacking mindset wouldn't work. It would actually harm them, uh, harm their chance of winning. So I think the the mindset would be nicely set up for, for Munster to go there under the radar and actually get in amongst um, Saracens and frustrate them. And potentially that's their their, um, their roadmap to win. Yeah, with, with Saracens being so proficient in defence, Ryan, and... Monster looking a little bit blunt despite those like they're two fantastic tries by ours particularly mm. the second one and the second one is beautifully crafted as well but they were kind of the only shots that Monster fired at wide really yeah um they really didn't make any inroads beyond that in fact 
seconds before the winning score as it transpired to be I'm sitting there with a couple of my mates in the stands and we're like you know Felix Jones is going to have to answer a few questions as to what, what's actually going on with the back line and yeah. Is it a case of going to uh, Coventry and, and trying to kick the ladder off the ball and just play that sort of almost old school monster territor- territorial type of game? And as Bernard says, live off mistakes, hope for a kind of a 12-9 or how do you see them approaching the game? Yeah, like it's obviously it's a, it's a huge assignment. Like they've got, you know, psychologically, they've lost so, so many big semi-finals over the last couple of years and, and if you look back to, to the Racing game last year they just didn't show up so I think the huge focus for, for Munster going to Coventry where they'll have huge support obviously is is start well lay down a marker you know they they failed to do that and even if you look back to the game two years ago against Saracens they lived with them for 60-65 minutes and then Saracens just had too much at the end you know Munster have obviously come on but Saracens are you know, as we touched on there they're a much better team than two years ago as well um, there's still uncertainty around Joey Carby's fitness, and he's so influential. But if there's if there's concerns over him and and he's not going to be fully fit, I think Tyler Blind. I'll just from the off, Johan Van Gran at the start of the week just needs to, you know, tell him that he's starting and, and come out and, and forget about all this Joey Carby. Is he starting? Is he going to be fit? All this kind of stuff because there was obviously disruption in that on Saturday. Um, and it, and Tyler Blind came off the bench and I think he did superbly. And, and Conor Murray was was speaking yesterday and. He feels that he can be the difference for them. Um, he can manage the game particularly well. Um, and yeah, look, like going to Sar- going to somewhere like Coventry and, and playing Saracens is, is a huge task for them. But if they can, they've got so much big game experience. And if they can manage, you know, your mama Grant spoke at the start of the season about getting that extra edge in, in the back line. And, and we saw it with that second Keith Earls try that you spoke about. And, you know, they just have to start really well. They need to lay down a marker, as we said, physically up front. I think they, they can have the, the beating of Saracens, um, live with them for as long as they can and use that big game experience. Do they have to go out and and, and try to veer away from their big game, you know, pedigree and, and eke out a 12-9 win? Probably not. You know, it's a semi-final rugby, it's knockout rugby. You go and you play to your strengths. And I think if Munster can do that, they've every chance of winning. Yeah, just a word on blind, I'll... <sighs> Got an awful lot of praise afterwards, justifiably so. The kick from the touch time is absolutely key. It moves it to a four-point game, and it's a wonderful kick. That moment where he gathers the ball off an overthrown line out, puts his body on the line. Um, it was a proper kind of clutch performance. And yet, just before that, and every time I've seen him probably since he came back from injury in, I think it was January, late January, early February, uh, I still don't know if he's taking the ball to the line as much. And like it might take a while before... He has that kind of full trust in his body, given the nature of the neck injury that had kept him out for eight months before that. Um, could those moments, particularly the one where he gathers the ball at the back of the lineup, just be that uh, that little thing to kick him back on into the form that won him Munster's Player of the Year only two years ago? Yeah, I think it's massive. I think that and the kick could be huge for him as well. And I, you know, I agree with Ryan. I think it'd be very it'd be very helpful to him to know as soon as possible if he's going to be starting at 10. Um, you know, he's played a little bit at 12 this season. I don't think him at 12 is the and Joey at 10 is the way forward to to beat Saracens, even though Brad Barrett looks like he's injured. Um, but uh, I think looking back at that game in the Viva two years ago, um, I mean, both teams were slaves to their game plan. Yeah. It was lit, like, but the, reality, what the problem was for Munster is that Saracens got ahead. No, not far ahead um, till, till late in the game. But Munster, even when they were chasing the game, still continued to to box kick, you know, into the Saracens twenty two, and it, it was meat and drink to 
to Saracens but having said that if Munster can get ahead you know even by three points early in the game that might force Saracens to, to open up a little bit and um, and they could be vulnerable to that but I, I don't see Munster even with, with Carberry there being able to you know uh, run amok um, ball in hand but it's going to come down to it's going to come down to a pack you know getting on top discipline playing the right areas and uh, I think that's actually been a big feature of Tyler is that He's probably learnt a lot about Northern Hemisphere rugby over the last uh, three or four years. Munster being incredibly loyal to him, and I think even the period where he was out, he his game management is far ahead of where it was. I mean, when he came, he was like a Joy Carberry type ten, you know, this um, brilliant attacking ten. Um, and in fairness to Axel, uh, Axel, you know, Axel saw that he was a man to change the way um, Munster could play. At the moment, I think he's actually it's his game management that's actually better than his. You know, natural flair, but as you said, maybe it's that turning point of having um, had a big moment or two big moments in a in a key game, giving that confidence back from obviously what's been a horrendous time and injury, and maybe he can go and, and do both. But I think the big thing is that his game management has improved a lot, and that's going to be key against against Saracens. Yep, Ryan, you caught up with another great game manager in Conor Murray. Yeah, it was spec savers with Rory Best on Tuesday and Pinergy. I think it was with Conor Murray on Wednesday. I. I caught up with him and obviously started asking him about the kind of the last few weeks and how it's been for him obviously a lot of criticism and, and spotlight on his form during the Six Nations and how he felt he went to, against Edinburgh on Saturday yeah feeling good um, yeah we're, like the weather's getting better a couple of exciting games um, still involved in Europe uh, Pro 14 is he's looking pretty good with a, with a big game on Friday night now against Cardiff to, to kind of push on a little bit more on that so um, yeah look everyone wants to be involved at the the business end of the season and you know that's that's where we are right now and, and that's where most players want to be so yeah um buzzing buzzing about the about the remaining few months yeah it must be a good mood in in, in ul this week obviously coming off the back of that edinburgh game it was obviously it wasn't your best performance you got the job done and it was an unbelievable atmosphere a lot of traveling monster fans over there yeah yeah the buzz was great on monday um you know it could have been an awful lot different you know we've been involved in you know when you lose a game uh, the monday morning can be tough it can be you know, almost impossible to get going. Um, but you know, there's a there's a there's a buzz, there's a there's a pep in everyone's step at the moment. And um, you know, coming off a, a game like that, like you said, with the travelling support that we have, um, or just the supporters in general, um, you know, you you buzz off that. And and you know, the airport on the way out on the the Friday was incredible. They were I don't know what time to fly. It was early enough, but they were all singing and shouting before we left. And then on the way home was 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 um, great atmosphere too. So. Uh, you know, I like I like our away days as well as much as I like the home ones. Yeah. The way that the Six Nations went for the team, it must have been refreshing to go back to to Munster, that new environment, back to where you spend most of of the year, and and for such a big game to to get a result like that, it must have been nice. Yeah, um, I think having been away with Ireland, um, quite fr- a frustrating campaign. You know, we we were we were we were off uh, um, to put it put it um, black and white. We were we were off our game a bit and. Um, we, we we had higher expectations of that campaign and, and that was quite disappointing so you know have, I had a little bit of time off after that um, got away for a couple of days to just forget about rugby and then as soon as I came back to, to Munster you know the lads were buzzing about the European weekend and that made you buzz straight away about it and, and, and kind of get working and get get down to work um, and fully focus on Edinburgh and, and the Heineken Cup and the Champions Cup, and you know that was that was really refreshing. Like you said, it's it's a great to have that. You know, if 
if we had finished the Six Nations and not had Europe and and you know had a kind of a break week, you know, it would have you would have found it a lot tougher. But to have something as big as the European Cup, you know how big it is to Munster to have something that big coming back to and get get stuck into it was um, was absolutely perfect for for us lads um, coming back from Ireland. Yeah, you mentioned having a bit of time off there. It is so intense, obviously with it being World Cup year and the success Ireland achieved last year that there's just so much scrutiny on form and results and performances. Do you find it easy to, to switch off and just get away from it all because whether it's media, I'm sure family and friends asking you, people coming up to this in the street, it's just everywhere all the time. So how do you find kind of getting away from it outside that bubble? Yeah, I, I really enjoy, you know, switching off and I find it, find it easy and it's, 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 I suppose it, it doesn't get as or it's not as easy as it used to be with the I suppose the attention that's on this team and and that's just completely natural and there's no other way to go about it and um, you know because people expect so much from this team have you know with the success we've had over the last four years with Six Nations with Grand Slams with you know big results against big teams um, you know that's just the way it is and and I'm around long enough to kind of under, to understand that and know that that's just the way it's going to be so you know to get that time away from from rugby to be able to switch off um and kind of reset your your switch mentally is 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 really really important so i i think it's a it's a good thing you know that there's so much on this team and so much attention because um you know that people have become used to the success and used to the standards we've we've hit and so have we and and you know we know how hard you have to work to to reach those those highs again and and, and we did try that during the, during the six nations but we things just didn't work out a little bit and, and that's frustrating for us so we're gonna you know go back to the drawing board and and, and see how we can get to those those highs again i i have absolutely no um uh, no fears that we we can't get there again because it, you know the personnel are still there, the coaching staff is still there. There's a few new players coming in that are going to add so much to this group, and we can 100% get back to that level again. So there's there's no panic at all. I know that you've spoken about the, kind of the scrutiny of your form during the Six Nations, but just maybe talking about getting away from it all and not taking too much notice of it. Was there a kind of do you take it home? You know, obviously you're in camp, so it's it's an intense bubble. But when you do come back to Munster, like, do you do you think about these things? You know, or can you get off to the golf course, or you know, different go-to mechanisms that you can just get away from it all completely and not let it kind of occupy your mind all the time. Yeah, you have, you do. You have your bits when you can get away. You can you get out in the course, or you can get down to the hinge for a swim. There's loads of things that we like to do and get get away from rugby. But um, I don't take it home. I I I, I, I really. I I did when I was younger definitely when I was like early 20s I'd take it home and I wouldn't speak to people for a couple of days and that, you know you'd be in terrible form but that yeah the more experience you get you, you realise that that is not the thing to do that is that's counterproductive it doesn't help you get better it doesn't help you fix the mistakes of the game it, it's just it's just not good so I think the older I've gotten I've gotten a lot better at just accepting what happened at the weekend um you know, making a plan to try and fix that. What 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 do I need to do this week to get over it? Um, what good is it to be in bad form with your family or or your friends or or your teammates the following week? It's just it's just not, it's not good. But then it, there's times where you know a big defeat or you know bad performance. It can take a couple. It can take a day or two or more even um, or until the next time you play to to really get over it. But um, to be mature about it, you just gotta you know gotta turn up and with a smile on your face and 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 get to work again and you know. If there's something that's annoying you, it probably annoy me 
behind closed doors, you know, at the back of my mind, and then you know, do everything you can in a positive way to to make it right at the weekend. If you if you you know where I'm going. Yeah. Brilliant, Conor Murray. Thanks, man. Cheers. Yeah, good stuff from Conor Murray. Um, if Ireland win the Hong Kong qualifier tournament this weekend, they'll be on the seven series next season. So looking at the uh, preliminary fixtures for them, Jamaica on Friday at 5.38am. Set the alarms, Ryan, you'll be up, no doubt. <laughs> Uruguay at uh, quarter to nine. I might actually make that one myself. And that, that's on Friday morning as well. And then Russia... Uh, Saturday at 3am so if you're on the points uh, you might make it home for that one but a bit of an opportunity for them isn't it? Yeah definitely They're, they seem to be strong favourites uh, a lot of people talking about it's a great opportunity obviously they suffered heartbreak at that tournament last year being beaten by the eventual winners Japan and it's obviously huge incentive for them to go out and, and win this tournament as you say a place on, on this series circuit for next year which is you know among the core teams and they've shown over the last couple of years as invitational teams, you know, you think back to Twickenham last year where they where they came third and they really kind of put it up to the the regular established sevens countries that they can they can compete. And I think credit has to go to Anthony Eddy and the RFU of the programme they've put in place as huge emphasis. And and what's noticeable from the squad that they're bringing, obviously there's a huge amount of experience in that squad from last year, but these guys are, are now developed into the sevens players. I mean, before we had the likes of Adam Byrne coming through, they used it as a pathway. Whereas you look down the squad and you're you're looking at guys like Terry Kennedy, Mick McGrath, Harry McNulty, Captain Billy Dardis, they're all, you know, sevens players now. They're in that programme full time and I think that's bearing fruit for them. So it's exciting time for them and it'd be great if they can go and uh, get the results they need. Yeah. Uh, we'll look at the uh, Pro 14 fixtures very quickly yeah. ahead of the weekend. I will get maybe both of your predictions in a word because We've got our colleagues from the journal queuing outside the door to record their own podcast here. We're under serious pressure. Um, I'll start with yourself, Bernard. Munster, uh, second in Conference A against the Cardiff Blues, who are fourth in the same division. That's at 25-8 to 8 on Friday in Cork. Blues are in great form. Hammered Scarlets, um, you know, the week before last. But uh, I think Munster, Munster will get up there at home. Ryan? Yeah, Munster have... Uh haven't lost their last, I haven't won their last 12 home games and I think haven't lost in, in Cork since September 2016, so home win there. Uh, Glasgow at home to Ulster, Glasgow are top of Conference A of course and Ulster are second in Conference B, that is at the same time on Friday. Not many teams go to, to Scotland and, and win, so Glasgow win there for me. Yeah, big backlash from Glasgow and maybe a little bit of a hangover from Ulster, so Glasgow win. Uh, Zebra, bottom of Conference A, they host Connacht, who are third in the same division. That's at half past five on Saturday. Bernard? Connacht, way win. Connacht, but there's pressure on them after last week and, you know, it's huge three games for them coming up. So they've actually lost their last two games in Parma, but any friend side will get the job done there. Super, yeah, they've got all those uh, all their eggs in that basket now, and that was uh, made pretty clear by the team they sent to sail. Uh, Leinster at home to Benetton, that's uh, Leinster obviously top of Conference B, Benetton are third and have had a fine season. That's at quarter to eight on Saturday at the RDS, Bernard. Yeah, Leinster definitely Benetton having a great season. I think they'll hopefully qualify, I think it'll be good for them, but uh, Leinster have enough edge about them to and they'll be planning towards Toulouse so I think Leinster will put in a better performance this weekend and, and beat Bennett yeah I can imagine Leo Cullen selecting a, a fairly strong team so Leinster there all day 
Super stuff. Bernard, thanks a million for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Ryan, I'm glad we've buried the hatchet after <laughs> weeks of weeks of rivalry. Uh, stop. Uh, Cheers, Gav. It's been enjoyable. Cheers, guys. And thanks a million for you, to you guys, rather, for listening at home. Apologies we didn't get around to more questions. A little bit caught for time this week. But uh, we will catch you again and hopefully include more of them next Thursday. Uh, enjoy the Pro 14 action and the 7s action over the weekend. And until next week, take it easy.